This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momentum. Welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momentum, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative as always. We welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to another edition of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Ryan Martina, co-founder and president of Jelly, a company building the internet of energy. Jelly also happens to be one of our earliest investments. Ryan brings over 10 years of experience in computational and battery R&D, as well as energy storage, business, and control platform technologies, with several patents in energy storage and energy computing technologies. Ryan holds degrees in chemical engineering from UC San Diego, a PhD from the Georgia Institute of Technology, and a postdoc research at Naval Research Laboratory in Washington, D.C. and MIT. He loves long-lived energy networks, and his goal in life is to see the world operate on a renewably energized internet of energy. So, Ryan, welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast. Ken, uh, thank you so much uh, for inviting me and having me on to your podcast. And uh, it's just great to kind of be at this point. Uh, you've been here with us uh, a long time and uh, looking forward to this uh, interview. As, as well, it has been very hard to pin you down before. So as one of our earliest investments, we should have done this long ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, now now with all the good news and uh, and certainly uh, ending the year on a high for many different reasons, it's uh, probably a perfect time to do this right before the holidays. So let's uh, as we like to do, let's start a little bit with your leadership journey. And as I always like to ask, what, what is your red thread, and how has it formed your perspective of the future of of energy? Yeah, thanks, Ken. Um, yeah, the the red thread is uh, a great question and I kind of link it to uh, vision and I feel very fortunate um, to have received a vision uh, when I was young. Uh, we had a family business, uh, high precision machining. We prototyped and built the first a couple hundred thousand home satellite dish feed horns. And one of my jobs was cleaning machines and I would dump the cutting oil into the creek. And uh, I knew at a young age of you know somewhere around 10 years old that that wasn't right. And I quickly uh, kind of started thinking about this. And I, I asked myself that question of like, how do humans continue to live on this planet in 200 years? And so I think I'll call that, that was the tying of the thread of my fate. Um, you know, looking, I kind of recognizing so early and all of a sudden my whole life kind of unfolded right there. It was like, I was to become a, an environmental engineer of sorts and a chemical engineer. And then we were all going to work together to kind of return the planet back to a natural state, but maintain all the technology and know-how. Um, and because we did, you know, 100, 150 years of, you know, pretty severe damage to the planet uh, from industrial revolution. Um, that really kind of stuck with me uh, all through my you know, early academics um, as, a, you know, as a chemical engineer, uh, also doing computational chemistry. Uh, but it was really also in 1999, I remember walking on the Berkeley campus and uh, really starting to think about what was the plan uh, on how to run the world on 100% renewable energy. And that's when I started doing the calculations. And all of a sudden that thread, seeing the thread, uh, was a thousand years long based on current uh, solar panel manufacturing, which is all from computer chips. 
uh, offtake at that time. And it wasn't until that mid 2000s um, that you know uh, SunFab and Chinese uh, silicon manufacturing increased 10x. But even back then, like making some assumptions, um, you know, started to hone in on this date somewhere around 2030 to 2050. And today I'll say that I believe that we'll get to 100% renewable energy by July 23rd, 2034. Let's go ahead and put a pin on that. I've held, I've held that number for a while. And now we're kind of getting there. And now it's really kind of like, let's peel, unpeel that red thread a little bit more and understanding it. Um, and you know why uh, this vision for future energy is uh, again asking the question of you know how do we run the world on 100% renewables? Not having a real answer um, for that, but then seeing trees and seeing the natural systems, and it's like wait a second, nature figured out how to build energy systems into everything that used energy very locally. And when you look even deeper into our bodies, we have trillions of cells operating in parallel, all between 35 millivolts and 350 millivolts before water starts electrolysis. Right? That's very different from our you know, residential 110 and high voltage lines, too. So I saw like the discrepancy between these two systems, but also the similarities and where we can go. And that's where I really saw this internet of energy as a future, a, a place where everything that used energy, every home, refrigerator, you know, commercial facility, um, you know, had renewable energy, solar, wind, and batteries networked with it. And if you didn't use it all, you can exchange it. And that's, you know, recognizing that to me was like, okay, this is uh, my my line of entrepreneurship for uh, kind of as, as, at least until July twenty third, twenty thirty four, and so having a goal there. I'd say having a goal and a pretty exact one, and we will get in a few minutes. I am going to ask you to explain that exact date and why. But you know what's um, I think what's fascinating to me is you you had this early inspiration for this space, and and it seems that you really kind of led even your early uh, education and research work around this as well. So I noted, you know, deep research base, energy storage, naval research labs, and and M MIT. You told us a bit about your inspiration for entering the energy field, what were some of the key uh, insights and discoveries you worked along the way during that early research phase? Yeah, you know, I think one of the, one of the stories from uh, you know, Feynman, uh, his suggestion was do all the problems, right? Do everything. And so I worked to really kind of build as much of a wide knowledge base and as deep as possible, trying to understand how the material world works. And then, of course, you get to how does the social world work and how does the business world work? Um, so I spent a lot of time, you know, really wanting to understand the fundamentals as much as, you know, any human <laughs> understood them. Um, so I, when I was 19, I started uh, doing uh, computational chemistry research for uh, Professor uh, John Weir and Nancy Muller uh, in the chem chemistry department at UC San Diego. And it was right when OpenGL was released. Uh, it was 1993, it was the summer Java was released. And uh, my job was to take uh, you know, uh, Fortran equations of states and do data visualization of large data sets with them. All of a sudden, that was my kind of like really first intro into big data computing. And, and then I was pulled over into engineering physics, where I did a lot of work uh, on thin film, uh, supercritical thin film uh, uh, layering, um, and some other uh, engineering physics type of work. And then I got a phone call uh, to 
go to grad school at Georgia Tech in uh, electrochemical engineering. And that's what really, uh, you know, tuned in for me. It was like I saw the future was, you know, heavily electrochemical um, and, you know, not very many people really even understood batteries. And so I wanted to kind of dedicate myself to this electrochemistry side. Um, I ended up doing a number of uh, micro battery and battery technologies. I did a postdoc at the Naval Research Lab in 2001 and uh, was trained by, uh, you know, the three letter agencies on how to make very long lived lithium ion batteries. Um, you know, also in that time, um, you know, I did a postdoc at MIT, uh, following up on that, where I ended up working with uh, Angela Belcher and her team doing a virus assembled uh, battery. I worked on a number of solid state different battery uh, architectures. Uh, built some of the original batteries for some of the original drones uh, back then, too. And I uh, even did batteries for uh, Cyberdyne's exoskeleton. And so a lot of these kind of like novel lithium-ion battery integrations is really kind of what, um, you know, I started seeing these applications. Um, you know, I worked for Yet Professor Yetming Chang while he was starting up A123. Um, I wanted to see how a scientist, uh, which is kind of like my my, my rearing up until then, except for our, you know, our family business, um, I want to see how a scientist uh, started a, a high-tech company. So I, I worked for uh, Professor uh, Yetming. It was really great because, you know, he did American Superconductor and then A123, which is when I entered. And now the A123 technology, uh, which is lithium iron phosphate, is now, you know, percolating all over the world and becoming kind of a dominant uh, chemistry, which is really nice. But the original uh, A123 was based on the three-term Hamaker constant, which allows um, self-assembly. And so we did the very first uh, self-assembled uh, device, uh, electrochemical junction. Uh, so, you know, my... My background does go pretty deep into um, you know the academic uh, side of things, and really I started asking myself a question around uh, you know, how to get batteries live really long out in the commercial world, and so that's when really the the basis of transitioning was like we saw that back in two thousand one your cell phone only lasted a year, less than three hundred cycles or so, you know, and now we're getting three thousand, five thousand, ten thousand cycles today, so. I can go on there, Ken, but I'll, I'll pause. <laughs> well, yeah, the classic underachiever. I love it uh, in there. So, so let's deep dive in on Jelly. All of this work that you did, uh, this research work, and and really thought leadership work. You know, all coalesced to come into this company called Jelly, G-E-L-I, which you co-founded in 2008 with uh, with Crispel Wagner. I'll, I'll call him an equally talented technologist, uh, much more on the software side. So what problem were you and Crispel trying to solve and, and for whom? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, Chris and I came together and originally we came together to build an art project at Burning Man a large scale light art installation that had like about 5,000 LEDs on it in the middle of the desert. Took two kilowatts of power and we ran it on a gas generator. We did burn ethanol in that gasoline generator, but still it was a gas generator. So we spent this time to build an absolutely beautiful thing and ran it on a you know dirty power system. And that's where we, you know, where we kind of found each other and kind of recognized that we were able to build this very complex you know, electronic art piece in the middle of the desert and make it work. And also with the help of a lot of our friends, 
Um, and, you know, when you find someone who you can actually really make something work, and then we kind of parlay that into kind of a, a bigger vision, you know, from this art project, it's like, then the, then the question is like, well, how can every art project and every home have an energy system? And then Chris and I came together to do that. And so I think a lot of people kind of, you know, think about that. And, you know, I think a lot of people are can do it, but I think it's also super important to have a really good uh, co-founder and partner uh, that really compliments you. And it's also in there for the long term. We both knew that this was going to be a long seven to 10 year road just to even get here to where, you know, we economically pencil. So I think, you know, your question is like, who were we making it for? Originally, it was for the art, but really it was for power to the people too. We saw this vision. We shared this vision of like a uh, you know fully you know renewable Internet of Energy, where every home and building has that. Um, it's 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 a, it could be a wonderful freedom, and it kind of extends on you know there's you know political and philosophical uh, aspects to you know <laughs> you know fulfilling your own energy needs, and that's kind of the cornerstone of uh, uh, Buckmaster Fuller's World Game, which is kind of like also an inspiration here. But really, it was around you know how do we build a clean and resilient future, and dedicating uh, to that. Um, you know, but we had other you know people who we were building for also, right? Uh, this I actually borrowed eight thousand dollars from my mom to build the original energy computer, and that energy computer was for size for my dad's house, right? and so it was for people. But also, what we realized is. We're doing this for all the different OEMs out there. Everyone who's making batteries, making power converters, making com components of the computer. Remember back in the early computer days, you'd buy a tower and get your hard drive and put all this together, right? And that's basically where the stage was. We're still all, we're still in that later part of later part of that. And so, like those people who are making the the hard drives of energy and the you know the processors of energy, power converters, they're going to need software. So we made we did it for them. So we build energy drivers there. And so that was like so much help because those OEMs are so focused on making a good and working battery or power converter. Um, and what we also recognize is that there was a space where we needed a, a new SCADA. And Ken, this is where you and I kind of interfaced. This kind of like, is it internet of energy? Is it internet of things? What is this new type of SCADA? But really the, the, the parameters of it is it's easy to deploy. It's low cost to deploy. You can build a lot of stuff on top of it. And you know, getting that main piping in um, was just really missing in the whole energy storage world. And so we needed to build that. Then, but we also built for developers too, right? Um, you know, just solar development is just, it's slow. It takes a long time. Developers are only doing, you know, five, 10 projects a year. Our question was like, how can we help those developers do a hundred projects a year? Right. Why are they spending so much time trying to design these systems? They should be out there selling these systems, right? So we knew that we had to kind of we can, there's an opportunity to build a lot of software that would really help accelerate that, you know, that design deployment and then lifetime of operations too. So um, and then you know our third kind of taker there was kind of what I mentioned before was everyone really. We looked into the future, saw a natural, sustainable state, and started working backwards, too, and kind of recognized that this was the technologies that we needed to put into place. 
Well, you must have done something right in this. Uh, I like that new type of SCADA uh, uh, system uh, because uh, um, uh, Hanwha Q-Cells, a South Korean manufacturer of distributed energy systems, announced plans to acquire you in August, which is public. So how will this allow Jelly to scale even more? Yeah, great question, Ken. Thank you. Um, we've been waiting for this day. Um, we knew that we had to grind out and build a lot of technology. You just can't build software to control batteries. Um, it's not putting, it's not like putting data into databases. You know, um, it needs to be robust. It, there's a lot of pieces there. So we we built that, and so we executed that mission. But we also knew that uh, we're just a small, the software is just a small percentage of a whole energy storage or you know, solar battery uh, system. And so really to kind of help us scale, um, we needed a big uh, partner, a big mothership, let's say. On the other side, at Hanwha Q-Cells, you know, Hanwha uh, acquired Q-Cells 10, 12 years ago, German solar panel manufacturer grew them. They are now uh, one of the top, if not the top, solar panel manufacturer um, you know, on the planet. Uh, they have the largest solar panel manufacturing facility in the Western Hemisphere, a 1.7 gigawatt of plant in Georgia, in the United States. And now, as a, one of the largest, if not the largest, solar panel manufacturer, um, we're now entering a world of commoditized solar panels. And so the take there is, like, how do we you know, build a, you know, a business roadmap towards energy as a service across all the different sectors. And, you know, we built a very flexible platform that's good for commercial. It's also good for residential. It's also good for large scale uh, systems. We're really focused on commercial industrial microgrids, uh, but we easily see a lot of uh, electric vehicles coming. We see a lot of virtual power plants coming and other aspects of like, you know, even 100% capacity factor utility scale solar battery plants. Like, um, you know, I'm hoping uh, that, you know, Jelly uh, has an opportunity to work with Hanwha on, on all of these, um, all of these aspects. It sounds like a great partner to really scale up uh, your your vision overall. Um, I, I got a kick out of your your stated goal. So goal in life is to see the world operate on renewably energized internet of energy. And uh, of course, you've already thrown that date out there, July 23rd, 2034. So um, I guess, you know, how far along are we towards that goal? Uh, and uh, And specifically, tell us a little bit more about why this date is so important. Yeah, I think the date's important because um, we need a point to challenge. Tell me why we can't get there at that time. And then I can actually, we can start engineering those answers too. But just, this is just from a pure um, production standpoint. You know, we're not talking like, how do we, we might have all of the solar panels and all of the batteries at the lowest cost, but can we get them into all the tens of millions of buildings just in the United States or the you know, hundreds of millions of facilities around the world uh, in time? And what is that in time point? We don't know when carbon in the atmosphere gets too much and you know, we get radical population declines or we have you know, sea waters, <laughs> uh, oceans rise and we have to move massive numbers of people inland. Um, you know, I feel like we are going to encounter a lot of those in our lifetime. So as a point of, uh, you know, vision and future, 
kind of calculate at that point. Now that point comes from, as I mentioned, um, you know, it was a thousand years uh, to do this uh, based in, uh, you know, in the in the early two thousands, just based on solar panel manufacturing. But then what happened was, um, you know, the introduction of the finance solar came in, two thousand seven, two thousand eight pushing that time frame, and all of a sudden, a huge increase, right? We went from cash sales to finance sales. And so it's not just about the technology innovation, but it's also about the business model innovations here. It was like how we lower, lower those barriers. And so once the finance solar came in, and all of a sudden, you know, solar panel production increased by 10x, well, then we can decrease that, you know, 100 years, um, by, uh, or 1,000 years to 100 years. Right. And then as we kind of bring on um, electric vehicles or kind of, you know, coming in more, those are accelerating uh, the case um, as we're bringing in technologies like Jelly to really kind of get solar and battery into a lot more places. You know, all of a sudden we maybe we cut that in half to 50 years and then we add some like, OK, some other looks. If you actually really start looking deep into solar panel manufacturing and the plans for the next couple of years and for battery capacity. Um, you know, um, this is where we start heading. Um, when Chris and I founded the company, uh, we were buying bare lithium-ion cells at $1,500 a kilowatt hour. Right? Um, now, I mean, batteries at the bare cell level, I don't know, anywhere from 150 to 250. Basically, uh, an order, you know, an order of magnitude uh, reduction in 10 years, and and a bit more to go too. We're not, we even haven't hit that point. Um, our development partners are able to, you know, to, uh, for their cost, anywhere from seven to nine cents a kilowatt hour with solar storage wrapped with the investment tax credit. Seven to nine cents a kilowatt hour for solar and storage together. That beats the delivered price of electricity almost <laughs> everywhere, right? And so, what I want to point out, I think your question is like, uh, you know, how far along are we? to this you know, world operate on re uh, renewably energized internet of energy. And I wanted to state, I believe that we are in a nonlinear regime now, right? We've always been kind of waiting for when's that hockey stick gonna happen and this and that. But if you look at the, at the macro moves here, we are in a nonlinear situation. That, you know, that investment is gonna be $80 trillion. Um, you know, now, when does that happen? You know, I hope it's June 23rd, 2034. Um, I think we are about you know three or four trillion in, but there's trillions more about to go in, just based on the amount of solar uh, uh, battery uh, manufacturing capacity. Um, so I think that's on the kind of the technology and the build side, and you know I would say like we're in this kind of nonlinear uh, regime, but on 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 time. And uh, you know there's more and more renewable companies kind of going public now, and SPACs are kind of really pushing things too. So I think we're going to see. Just in this new era, a lot of you know, kind of companies for people to invest in, for can help drive this too. So, I'll hold it there. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting one, especially the the latter comments around uh, SPACs. We've um, been watching this as well, and I think they're going to be a great accelerator for uh, a number of uh, um, later stage companies in that regard. I, I like your comment around nonlinear, and uh, obviously, we've lived through a 
pretty strange time over the last nine months, uh, black swan, many may call it, uh, with uh, COVID-19. We've actually seen it have a positive effect, at least on you know digital use of digital technologies, and thus we refer to it as a digital accelerator in, in part. What impact do you think this has had on your vision of the internet of energy? And, and maybe, yeah, I don't want to make this political, but obviously there's been a, uh, a regime change in the U.S. as well. And, you know, I'm curious your thoughts around uh, how that might uh, help as well. Yeah, the impact of uh, COVID has been significant right, to a lot of industries, a lot of businesses. Uh, but for renewable energy and resiliency, it's, it's helped it. It has done this digital accelerator, um, as you're referring to. Um, you know, I think there's a combination of like the technology is getting to the right price point, so it's just not really economic to build gas and coal plants anymore. So I think, you know, that just so happened, you know, kind of at the early points of this COVID-19. I think a lot of people are now kind of really thinking about that resiliency aspect um, in, into their lives and businesses. Um, because it's not just COVID-19, but it's also in California, we have, you know, uh, power shutoffs and uh, the kind of grid, grid stability issue. Um, I think the the regime change uh, is going to be helpful because I think we've been wanting a Green New Deal uh, for a long time. And then at the same time, you know, you know the energy business is, um, you know, it, it's blind to politics, right? Because... You know, every, everyone uses it. And so I think the most important thing is, is we're at that right price point. And, you know, it means business. It means business in the United States. It means jobs. Uh, more and more people are being hired into renewable jobs. So, you know, either either way we look at it, I think it's really positive. And, you know, we are really looking forward to, uh, you know, what the Biden administration is going to push forward, especially all the electric vehicle charging is going to need a, a lot more uh, batteries and renewable infrastructure behind that, too. Um, you know, another aspect here I kind of want to share a little story um, is that I'm on the board of directors of BlackRock Labs, and BlackRock Labs is the uh, the new instantiation of BlackRock Solar, which is Burning Man's uh, nonprofit solar development company. And uh, they founded BlackRock Solar in 2007. In 2007, there were no solar developers. It was the very beginning of solar development. Um, in 2017 when we converted BlackRock Solar into BlackRock Labs, innovation arm for Burning Man, um, you know, they'd done over 100 projects and they were the 249th largest solar developer in the United States. That means the whole industry grew up around them, right? And, you know, this is one of the reasons why, you know, Chris and I are longtime burners and, um, you know, we probably stopped going just for the party <laughs> a long time ago. We now, like, help run a 200-person uh, uh, village that all solar battery, um, deploy solar battery systems with art projects all over. And really, uh, there's a lot of innovation and uh, that happens at Burning Man, but we're there to actually help scale these innovations. Um, uh, we've been helping deploy biofilter toilets uh, and then working on carbon capture to create uh, liquid fuels and food. Right, And so Burning Man, as this temporary mobile 80,000 person city is really a great model on what would we have to do if we had to move a 100,000 person city somewhere? You know, what type of infrastructure is there? Um, the other aspect that we're seeing here, you know, kind of tied into this is like, what is the future of architecture and infrastructure? 
in these worlds where, you know, like a, a new hospital is built, like how many uh, rooms and wings are going to have mobile capabilities in case they need them. And we're seeing a lot more of that type of uh, mobile infrastructure, which then backs into the needing energy systems and resiliency. So um, uh, I'll, I'll hold that one there too. So you've uh, you've been a, a pioneer, a thought leader, a, a little bit of burner, <laughs> and 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 a successful uh, startup founder. Uh, you know, with uh, with your first uh, exit um, imminent, right? What's uh, what's next for you? <clears throat> VP of strategy for Unwell Q Cells Jelly. You know, we have a we're just starting now, right? This is I call this we're in the big build. Um, you know, we're looking at what we're going to be doing is uh, not just making software available, but also selling packages of energy computers, right? Of you know, energy storage plus software, and then we can also provide solar panels, and we provide you know the the ongoing software for those and help. So we're really kind of bringing a whole new you know next level package to make developers and um, you know, facilities lives you know, easier to deploy. Um, I think we're also going to re really be looking at, you know, how, um, you know, utilities change their energy efficiency programs to uh, DER programs. Um, as we're kind of seeing more and more places kind of, you know, phasing out gas and, you know, having electric vehicles inside homes, um, we're seeing 3x times of electricity used at the, the home edge. And so, you know, we're going to be helping on that on that residential side, the uh, home Q-Cells uh, has a, a really great Q-Home residential package. I think there's a whole world of, uh, you know, digital energy retail. Uh, there's, you know, a number of deregulated states and where, you know, retailers are, are happening, but none of them are really kind of doing solar battery with uh, retail together. They're really kind of meter companies. So I think there's a big, you know, opening there along with uh, EV charging depots. You know, I think both for cars, trucks, um, even working with a you know an airplane company on uh, you know on charging. So this is a you know big uh, big future um, you know developments, but ones that we're we're really kind of uh, aiming at. Um, you know, I'm working with uh, Next Tracker on a very interesting product. Now, Next Tracker has deployed. I'll probably get it wrong. You know, say I think like 30 gigawatt trackers out there, and I've been working uh, with uh, Alex Al, the CTO of uh, Next Tracker, on a DC bus a system, which really allows us to uh, design 100% capacity factory solar battery plants. This is significant. Um, you know, we're in the in the early times of this uh, right now. Uh, and uh, really supporting Next Tracker on this, but it's been really kind of wonderful to, you know, do designs and calculations to kind of really bring up the capacity factor of a solar battery plant to be really competitive with a thermal plant and uh, seeing a pencil, right? So um, super excited for that, which also just means like we're going to see larger and larger solar battery systems uh, deployed, which again can put a little curve on our 2034, um, you know, date too. Um, and, uh, you know, I think some, some other pieces are, uh, I think we're going to see, you know, more renewable utilities kind of emerge and, you know, how does a, a renewables company really run a utility? Um, and then on the technology side, I think we're hearing a lot about, um, starting to see a lot about solid state batteries. Um, and I think we'll see more and more uh, around, around that. So I think we're not done with our battery technology. I think we have a, a goal. I do know, I, I personally have a goal to see batteries live 50 to 100 years. 
we're starting to see the very first like 50 year solar panels, um, you know, hitting the market. And we need to be able to match those. And really, we need to be able to match a 40 year lifetime uh, kind of compete with uh, kind of, or to fit into the utility paradigm. So not the ending, just the beginning. More to come. Just I love it. the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me ask if, uh, you know, it's been what, almost 13 years since uh, you and Chris started Jelly. If you could go back and, and coach both of you as, as uh, nascent founders at that point, what advice would you give yourself? Mm. You know, um, maybe if I'm through on this interview or not, I'm a very passionate person. And I think, uh, you know, passion runs a couple of different ways. And so I think like, uh, you know, working to kind of like control my emotions, you know, in the business sense, I think has been like one of my biggest, uh, you know, evolutions over this time. And I wish it, ha- I wish it happened sooner, mm. uh, but that's, it. that's, that's a okay. I think like, you know, going from a scientist to entrepreneur to, you know, growing a company to 26 people, um, you know, it's just so much learning. And it's almost like you have to go through it, right? It's like, could I tell myself that or would I have to go through it? Could I go on easier? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Ken. But um, I, like I said um, in our pre-meeting, I, we are we are on track. We've grown. Uh, I think the world's on track uh, for this. So that gives me a lot of uh, confidence. Um, I, I'm I set up a company, I helped form a company called Banyan Infrastructure a couple of years ago uh, to do to address one of the other pain points, which is, uh, you know, uh, contract management, right? Once once we go beyond just a power purchase agreement with solar and add other value streams of demand and, you know, demand response and day ahead energy values, all of a sudden it becomes very complicated to go ahead and set up the revenue stream. So Banyan Infrastructure is applying blockchain smart contracts to um, solar contracts. And kind of connecting bank accounts and data to go ahead and automatically transfer and clear and have a continuously confirmation of, you know, the financial performance. So, you know, I think, you know, we, there's still a lot of innovations on the business model side on how to deal with, you know, millions of distributed energy systems and whoever owns those. So, yeah, as you said, we're just we're just getting going. Well, your 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 passion and your professionalism go hand in hand, and uh, so I'm not sure I would have coached you the same way back when, because I think that is one of your uh, your outstanding traits. Uh, but when you're not out inspiring others, I'm just curious, kind of what inspires you in terms of people, books, or uh, or other resources? Oh, you know, I absorb a lot of information, and um, you know. I love the the news and all of these reports coming out on how we get to 100% renewables. It was like, um, it, it was it, you. We didn't talk about it 10 years ago. It was kind of like not talked about to try to say that because we would sound crazy. But now people are coming out with that. So I love reading these reports and seeing how they're approaching it. And it's just like the more and more models is going to allow us to get there. Um, just for the listeners out there interested in batteries, people are always asking me like, oh, how do I learn more about batteries? Um, batteryuniversity.com online. It's a lovely you know, starting place and has a depth of information uh, for under really understanding batteries. Because I think you know, a lot of you know, the listeners here and just solar developers as they're kind of getting into the batteries need to know a little bit about how it's working. And I think that is a great source. Um, you know, one of the books that really kind of 
gave me a perspective for what we're doing now um, was Empires of Light uh, by Jill Jones. And it's the story of kind of the rapid growth of our first early electrical grid. And, you know, while reading it um, and seeing like the, the business evolutions and the politics that evolved there, it all happened over a very short period of time. And, uh, you know, I can't help uh, but, you know, kind of map that growth, that, that those mechanics that were going on into what's happening right now. Um, it's definitely a lot more players and, you know, it's, it's kind of the same. Growth. So, I, you know, if anyone wants to really understand, A, how the grid works and how it evolved and kind of maybe have a good kind of like a historical foil, um, I think that's a great one. And um, and then finally, uh, I just see just wrapping up uh, the trilogy uh, that starts with the three body problem, uh, which is a science fiction book by a Chinese science fiction author. And I'll have to say it's one of the best science fiction books I've read since uh, uh, Diamond Age, which was all about nanotechnology. And then also, uh, you know, uh, the Nexus series uh, by Ramez Nam is also you know, wonderful uh, science fiction. And I think, uh, you know, science fiction is a, a great place for us to, to dream into the future and work out those, those models. So, I mean, Internet of Energy is a science fiction that we're making science or reality. So... We'll work on that book one day, too. <laughs> science fiction to science facts. So, batteryuniversity.com, Empires of Light, Free Body Problem, the trilogy, and a couple others that I didn't get in time. But yeah. we will oh, include links to all of these on the uh, transcript that we have with the, uh, the podcast as well. So. Ryan, thank you for providing this insightful interview. I'm really glad that we finally got a chance to, uh, to, to get you cornered for long enough to do, uh, do a podcast now. Yeah. Well, Ken, I'm happy to do so. And, you know, you are such a great uh, help and inspiration. And, you know, just kind of put this out there. You helped me kind of really think through kind of connecting the design time to runtime um, for uh, our product. Right. And being able to do that is like that is where we get scale and how we, you know, we've gone on to design a thousand facilities at once. Right through bulk analysis now. So, anyways, thank you, Ken, uh, for being a great mentor. Thank you to Momenta, and thanks for having me on your podcast. Oh well, thank you for the the very kind words. I must say this this was a. Uh, uh, um, um, an effort of passion because uh, I think uh, you inspired me very early on about the uh, opportunities in this uh, Internet of Energy and including coining the term. So uh, it, it has been the pleasure has been all mine. Let's put it that way. So oh, thank you, sir. This Likewise. has been Ryan Wartina, the co-founder and president of Jelly and uh, a resident burner, as I think he likes to call himself. So <laughs> thank you for listening. And please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts and webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.